gracious and amazing Father who has adopted us into your family, who has made us your sons and daughters. And your word tells us, even though we don't know what we will be like, we know we will be like him. And your word tells us that you have bestowed this great love upon us that we should be called the children of God. Father, this morning as we look at a couple of your children, Zacharias and Elizabeth and Mary, I pray, Father, that you would give us wisdom, give us ears to hear your voice. Help us, Lord, just to absorb from your word the truth that you would want us to get this morning. I pray in all things that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we explored the introduction to the book of Luke, which I thought was kind of interesting. If, if you missed that, it's on our website or our Facebook page. Highly recommend you go check it out because the history of the book of Luke and the book of Acts is really cool. Um, the way they work together and learning a little bit more about who Luke was. Um, well, was, is. He's still alive. He's just not here anymore. You ever, you ever, I, I always say that, you know, when, when someone passes away, we had a, we had a, one of our summer church members uh, passed away last week, and um, in speaking uh, with those who were close to him down in Texas, they said, you know, he, he knew where he was going because he knew Jesus Christ. And one of the things that we are often fond of saying, at least I do this a lot, and then I tend to correct myself, is, well, it's okay, they were a Christian. And that's a really dumb statement because they're more of a Christian now than they ever were when they were here, right? Here we walk by faith, not by sight. When this body takes its last breath and we are in that moment face to face with our Savior, I think our belief is going to kind of go through the roof. Just saying. I don't think we're going to get there and go, wow, it was really true, you know, but I think we're going to get there and uh, there's a song that we love and I can't remember the name of it. Um, where it says that faith will turn to sight and prayer will turn to praise. And, and that's going to be an awesome day. So it's not that they were a Christian, so they're okay. They are, more so than ever, a believer in Jesus Christ. So, yeah, Luke is still alive. That was the whole point of that. Uh, but this week, <laughs> ooh, uh, this week we're going to turn to the announcement by the angel Gabriel of two miraculous pregnancies. With all that, Let's pick up in John chapter, John, you guys can go to John chapter 1, it's not going to make a lot of sense. Let's turn, <laughs> pick up in Luke chapter 1, verse 11. Remember, Zechariah was burning incense at the hour of prayer. He was in the temple doing this, and the multitude of people was outside praying at this hour of incense. It was most likely after the evening sacrifice, so probably what we would picture is around 3, 4 in the afternoon, give or take. Then, verse 11, an angel of the Lord appealed, appeared to him standing on the right hand, the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name, John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, 
because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zechariah and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, you got to love, just, I'm sorry to hate to interrupt this, you got to love the job, the work ethic, right? He sees an angel, he's made mute, but he's not allowed to get off work early. He's still got to stay there until his service is done. I just throw that out there. Um, but when the days of his service were completed, he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. She hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So we see Gabriel and Zacharias, and we look into this first announcement concerning John the Baptist. We're going to see, uh, as we read, we saw Zacharias' fear. We saw the angel's announcement, not only of who John would be, uh, but talked about his ministry as well. We see Zacharias' doubt, and we end with Elizabeth rejoicing that God took away her approach. So let's break this down a little bit. The angel appears to Zacharias while he's in there lighting the incense at the hour of prayer. And he assures him that his prayer had been heard. So my best guess, I don't know that Zacharias was necessarily praying uh, for a child. I think at this point in time, maybe he had stopped praying for that. But in some way, shape, or form to bless him, to bless his wife. Uh, because that's what the hour of prayer was for. God heard this prayer. Gabriel tells him, your prayer has been heard. And that's so reassuring to me. Because there are times when we may not feel like our prayer has been heard. I don't know if you're anything like me. Um, your emotions may get in the way at times. I know mine do. I am a very emotional person. Um, always good, right? Those emotions are always joy and happiness. Um, but no, I'm an emotional person. I process everything through my emotions. And so there are times when I'm praying when I don't necessarily feel like my prayers are being heard. Right? Maybe I'll pray and, and, and I, don't, I don't get out of that time of prayer and automatically go, wow, yeah, everything's great. Sometimes I get out of that time of prayer and I feel I'm still struggling or I'm, I'm still concerned or I'm still worried or I still don't know how the thing's going to turn out even though I've tried to leave it in his hands. And we do that, don't we? You ever do that? Father, please, here, take this. Uh, I need it back. No, no, you take it, you take it. No, I need it back. At least I do that. I know you guys, I say this all the time, you guys are better than me. But that's what I do. But one of the things I love here is the assurance. Be assured. God has heard your prayer. And even though the answers don't always come exactly when we want them to, and they may not always come the exact way we want them to, and it may not look like what we were hoping it would look like, well, when God's at work, he's going to take care of it. It's going to be okay. And he hears. He hears our prayers. Of course, Zacharias was a little troubled. I think I would be too. Um, I, we have descriptions of angels in scripture. Uh, I don't think necessarily that Gabriel showed up with four faces and six wings and covered in eyeballs and hands under the wings and all that. But, you know, whenever we see in scripture that an angel of the Lord appeared to somebody and that person was afraid, that makes sense to me. Because angels aren't little chubby babies in diapers with bow and arrows, right? Angels, you, you look up. The descriptions of them in places like, you know, the opening chapters of Ezekiel and whatnot. And angels are something. They're something. I'm kind of guessing Gabriel appeared a little more what we think of. Shiny robe and maybe some wings. Uh, maybe not. But whatever the case, if you were standing in a room doing your work and all of a sudden there was an angel there, I think it might freak you out a little bit. It would me. It did Zacharias. And he says, your prayer is heard. Your wife's going to have a son. You will call his name John. 
And his birth will bring joy, gladness, and rejoicing. Now, this joy and gladness were twofold. First, because it was miraculous, and it would remove the reproach from Elizabeth in their culture. And second, because of the calling on John's life. And so I want to point out two quick things. One of them we'll talk a lot more about next week. But that is that life is always precious in God's sight. When he talks about John being filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb that we're going to look at here in just a minute. Right? In the womb, life is life. Life is always life. Of all the things I see in the world, and there's a lot, I, I personally think one of the most disgusting is abortion, if not the most disgusting thing I can imagine. I don't know how somebody could murder a child in the womb and call it health care. I don't know why it's a political issue. Murder should never be a political issue. I don't, I don't get it. Now, I'm going to stop because I'm going to preach this next week again. And I'm going to preach it even more. Because next week we're going to see John the Baptist responding to the presence of Jesus while he is still in Elizabeth's womb. Oh, it's just a clump of cells, though. Clumps of cells don't respond to God. Clumps of cells can't be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see all of that happen when Mary visits Elizabeth next week. It, it happens in verse 41. But two, and this is something I think is so valuable for us to understand. And that is that God creates each of us for a unique purpose that he calls us to live out in our lives. Now you hear me, uh, for those of you who listen to me enough, you hear me say this a lot. We have passages like Jeremiah 1.5 where God told the prophet Jeremiah that I called you to be a prophet before you were ever born. That all your days are written in my book according to Psalm 139. Then we get to Ephesians 2.10. We love Ephesians 2.8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved by faith, that not of works, lest any man should boast. But we often skip verse 10. For you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that you should walk in them. Each of us is created very specifically by God to do what he has gifted and called us to do. Now that's going to look different in everybody's life. You hear me say that a lot too. But what I want you to understand, what I need to constantly understand, none of us are here by accident. None of us are who we are with our personalities and our quirks and our struggles by accident. None of us have the gifts and a, oop, that's not good. None of us have the gifts and abilities that God has given us by accident. None of us are here by happenstance. There are no coincidences. You may think, well, you know, I moved to Gunnison for this reason, or, or I'm here for that reason, or I, it's just really pretty in the mountains, or, or whatever reason God brought you here. But it's God who brought you here. It's God who brought you here for a reason. He has a purpose for you in this place. Whether it's in this building, or in this community, or in your life, and, and I talk to uh, some folks, I've heard this more than once since I've been here in Gunnison. Well, you know, but you, maybe you're older, maybe you're retired. Yeah, I'm looking at a few people who I know. Well, you know, and does that mean I'm done? No. If you're breathing, God still has a purpose for you. I guarantee that. If you're breathing, God still has a purpose for you. If you're not breathing, let us know. We'll call 911. Uh, but if you're breathing, God has a reason for you to be here. And I want to see for all of us, not just me, but for each of you, to live out the purpose God has called you to, to become the person God has created you to be. That is one of my most important goals as a pastor. I don't want you to be who I think you should be. And I don't want you to be who other people might think you should be. I want you to be who God wants you to be. And that's exciting. Because when we're all doing what God has called us to do, then he works wonderful ways in his body. 
So we get to Gabriel's prophetic announcement. And I like this. Because here, before Elizabeth was even pregnant with John, God, through the angel Gabriel, lays out exactly who John will be. First, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink neither wine nor strong drink. Uh, for, for some fun homework, you can go back and read Numbers chapter 6, uh, part of the Nazarite vow. It was a vow that a person would take to separate themselves to the Lord for a period of time. Well, we, we have several famous Nazarites that we know of, like Samson. One of the things they weren't supposed to do is cut their hair. They shaved it at the beginning of the vow, and then they shaved it at the end of the vow. If the vow never ended, they were never supposed to cut their hair. They were supposed to keep themselves away from anything that would make them unclean, dead animals, corpses, and whatnot. And they weren't allowed to have anything from the vine. Not just wine, but not even grape juice, not even grapes, not raisins, nothing that came off the vine. This was the Nazarite vow. So when he is told, when Zacharias is told that his son is not allowed to have wine or strong drink, it means that John is supposed to be a Nazarite from birth. When you go back in the Old Testament, there were a couple. Not only Samson, Samuel was one as well. Um, there were several. Uh, but we get here to the New Testament, and something that not everybody thinks about all the time, but we'll talk about later on in the book of Luke, is that John was actually the last Old Testament prophet. Because John shows up in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and the book of John, we often think of him as a New Testament prophet. But his ministry was before the death and resurrection of Christ, which means John was the last Old Testament prophet. And according to Jesus, the greatest so he would literally be separated to God from birth. He will be filled from the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And I find this to be quite incredible, because as far as I know, John is the only person in the entire Bible who has the distinction of being filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. We're going to see this next week when Mary visits Elizabeth. But, and you know, we know as believers, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We can be continually filled with the Holy Spirit, as Ephesians 5.18 says. But this doesn't happen for any of us from the womb. For you and I, that happens when we come to faith in Christ. But for John, it was before he was ever born. That's kind of cool. And it says, talking of his ministry. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. As John meant, John's message would be one of repentance. We will study this at great length in Luke chapter 3. He will go before him, speaking of Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now this is actually a prophecy that's applied to Elijah in the book of Malachi, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. And we know, because Jesus talks about this, that Elijah will come to prepare the way before Jesus' second coming. However, John came in the spirit and power of Elijah before Jesus' earthly ministry to prepare the way. This was confirmed by Jesus himself, in Matthew chapter 17. What was that ministry? Well, back in the day, way back in the day, right, we didn't have roads like we do now. Of course, it's kind of interesting. Some of the roads that the Romans built are in better shape than some of the roads in Gunnison. Uh, you know, but that, that's another story. But what they would do is if the king, say, was traveling to another city in order to do whatever he was going to do there. Maybe he had a speech. Maybe he had a political rival he wanted to kill. Who knows? It was Rome. It was different times. But there would be a group of people that would go ahead of him. Much like today, if the president is traveling to a city, the Secret Service goes ahead. Right? They check out the airport. They check out the hotel. They plan out various routes from here, there, to the other place. If the president's speaking at a venue, they go there. They check everything. That's what the Secret Service does. They prepare the way. That's what these guys would do. But theirs was a little different, right? They would go ahead in the road, and if there was a big, you know, pothole, they would fill it in. If there was a tree that had fallen across the road, 
they would move it. If there was, say, a, 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 an encampment that cropped up next to the road, they would run them off because they wouldn't want the king to be exposed to that. They would go and prepare the way. Well, this was John's ministry before Jesus' earthly ministry. His was a ministry of repentance, preparing people to hear the message of the gospel. Elijah will do very same thing before Jesus' second coming. And that is why many of us uh, who, who love to spend time talking about the end times think that Elijah is one of the two witnesses in the book of Revelation. Uh, I think the other one's Moses. We're going to talk about that a ways down the road. But if you want to hear more about that, you can check out our Revelation study on uh, our YouTube page. Zechariah's response. What is Zechariah's response? I love this. How? How can this be? I'm old. My wife's older. Okay, that didn't really say that, but that's what it sounds like to me. I'm an old man. My wife's an old lady. How, how is this going to happen? And I love Gabriel's response. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to bring you these glad tidings, but you didn't want to listen, so now you're mute. Ah! Right? I was sent to bring you this message, but you're going to be mute until it comes to pass because of unbelief. Now, something that I do want to point out that I think is very cool, since Gabriel identified himself here, every time we see Gabriel in Scripture, when he is mentioned by name, he is talking about Jesus. He is sent to Daniel back in Daniel chapter 9. And what is he talking about? There he's talking about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Here he appears to Zacharias, tells him about John, who's going to prepare the way for Jesus. Uh, before we're done today, he's going to appear to Mary, and he's going to tell Mary that she's going to actually have Jesus. I really like his job. It's a great job, right? God creates Gabriel before time began, most likely. We're not exactly sure when the angels were created. And he says, Gabriel, I got a job for you. What's that? He goes, you're going to go to earth and you're going to tell people about my son. Cool. Guess what, folks? We have the same job. It's our job to tell people about his son. But what was Zechariah's problem? How am I going to know this? I'm old. My wife's old. Well, his problem was that he looked at the situation through his own understanding. And according to to his own human limitations. You see, God is not limited in any way. We do not have to try to figure things out according to our limitations, and we should never put our limitations on God. Right? I don't understand how this is going to turn out well, okay? You don't have to understand. You have to know that God knows what he's going to do. Well, I don't understand how this could even be possible. Well, for you, it's not. For him... He's not even going to break a sweat. He's not even worried about it. We can't put our limitations on limitless God because it's always going to lead to doubt and unbelief. When Abraham and Sarah were going through a similar thing to Zacharias and Elizabeth, God told them they're going to have a baby. Both Abraham and Sarah go, well, how is that going to work out? And in Genesis 18, 14, God said, is anything too hard for me? It's a rhetorical question. Is anything too hard for God? No. There's a lot of things that are too hard for me. Some days just getting out of bed is hard. Anybody? Am I the only one? Some days just getting out of bed is hard. Is anything too hard for him? But Lord, I don't understand how I'm going to get through this situation. Is anything too hard for me? Lord, I don't see how this could even be possible. How am I old? My wife's old. How can we have a baby? Is anything too hard for me? No. Isaiah 14, 27, The Lord of hosts has purpose. And who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? When God has a purpose, when God has a plan, when God has an outcome that he wants to accomplish, there is nothing and no one who can stop it. Now, you may think, well, what about a person who walks in disobedience, refuses to follow after the will of God, refuses to listen to what he's saying, or is living in sin and isn't listening at all, refuses to repent? Well, is God's purpose going to be accomplished in that person? Yes. 
Maybe that person's going to miss out on the opportunity for God to use them. But God's purpose will always be accomplished. That's why we're told in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 that we should trust in the Lord with all our heart and not lean on our own understanding and all our ways acknowledge him and he will direct our paths. That was Zechariah's problem. He was not trusting that God could do this. He was trying to figure it out in his own understanding. Maybe he was acknowledging him in all his ways. God was faithful and still directed his path. But that's where doubt comes from. Quite often is when we put our limitations on God. So the people who were waiting outside at this time of prayer didn't know what was going on. He finally comes out. He's unable to speak. And they're like, wow, something happened. He saw a vision, right? They were really close because Gabriel wasn't a vision. He was physically present there. And then we see the fulfillment. Zechariah finishes his service. He goes home, and Elizabeth gets pregnant. I wrote in my notes, spry old fellow. He was gone for a couple weeks. He gets home. He sees his beautiful wife, and he goes, hey, let's make a baby. Elizabeth hides herself for five months and recognizes that God has taken away her reproach. Now, there's... I wouldn't say argument. There's a differing of opinion as to why she hid herself for five months. And I don't actually know what the answer is. Maybe, I'm sure Zechariah came home and told his wife, hey, this is what the angel, well, he probably wrote it down. He couldn't say it. But he wrote all this down. The angel said, we're going to have a baby. This is what he's going to be about. And she was like, cool. So when she got pregnant, wow, right? Well, if he's going to be separated from birth, I'm going to separate myself for a period of time. Maybe that's why she hid herself for five months. Maybe it was out of fear or what people would think when they found out she was pregnant. We don't know how old she was, but she wasn't, you know, the proverbial spring chicken. She was an older lady. Um, every time, uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you a great story. Um, we had our kids young. And, uh, you know, we're, our youngest is about to be 18 this upcoming year, and, and we're in our mid-40s. Um, my brother, his, his wife got pregnant when he was 41. I, our, our kids were, we were, this is 10, 10 years ago or so, so our kids were on their way. They were all in double digits. So he calls me and tells me, and I start laughing. Because he's in his 40s. I said, you know, you're going to be like 60-something when she graduates from high school. Shut up. <laughs> and I just, I kept laughing. Stop laughing. I'm like, why? It's funny. See, by the time she's out of high school, our kids will be old enough to take care of us. That's the goal anyway. Don't laugh, Aaron. I consider you one of mine, and you're going to take care of us too. <laughs> but that was, you know, and my brother was only in his 40s. Zechariah and Elizabeth were probably much older. So the idea that all of a sudden she's pregnant, that may have made people talk. It's also possible that she just wanted to be away from gawking eyes. I don't know what it is. Whatever it was, she hid herself for five months. Now, in the sixth month, verse 26, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? We're going to talk about the difference between her question and Zachariah's question. Verse 35, The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. 
And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the maid servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So Gabriel appears to Mary and says, you know, behold, highly favored one. We're going to get to that in a moment. But it talks about her being betrothed. And, and this is something that we do have to think about because it's not something we do in our society anymore. Back then, there were really three stages to a marriage, right? Today, people date, they get engaged, and they get married. Well, back then, you would be arranged. Sometimes from birth, your marriage would be arranged. Then you would be betrothed, and the betrothal lasted at least a year. And the reason that the betrothal lasted at least a year was to make sure that the woman wasn't pregnant. At the end of the betrothal, you would actually get married, and they would have a week-long celebration, and it was cool. Now, during the betrothal, even though you weren't married-married, as in you did not consummate the marriage, you were still legally bound. At the time of the betrothal, in order to call off the wedding, actually required a certificate of divorce. It wasn't that simple. As you know, today, say, well, I just, I don't want to get married. Here's your ring back. Or, you know, I don't want to get married. I sold your ring at a pawn shop. <laughs> However, that works out. But it was different back then. So if you were engaged, that was legally binding. So saying that was very interesting. It does point out that she was betrothed to a man of the house of David named Joseph that they were both of the tribe of Judah in the line of David is hugely important because it was prophesied that the Messiah would come through David's line in 2 Samuel 7. This, of course, is a fulfillment of Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and you should call his name Emmanuel, God with us. So he approaches her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. She considered what manner of greeting this was, and he tells her, don't be afraid. Now, the word favored here, some have taken that to try and elevate Mary in some way. We're going to talk more about this next week, but we don't elevate Mary. Mary was a human being like you or I. And the word favor here in Greek is keratuo, and it simply means to have grace upon you. So when the angel appeared to Mary... He wasn't saying you're highly favored because of how great you are. He's saying you're highly favored because of the grace God has put upon you. And that's huge. Because we, my dear brothers and sisters, are highly favored by God. Not because of how great we are, but because of the grace he has put upon us. She tells him that she will conceive in her womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. This is explained to us in Matthew 121 a little more. The word or the name Jesus literally means God is salvation. In Matthew 121, it says, You shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The word in Hebrew is Jehovah Shua. God is salvation. Or Joshua. So Jesus' actual name in Hebrew would have been Joshua. The reason we call him Jesus is because of the Greek translation of the Hebrew name. Yes, Yeshua. Well, Jehovah uh, Shua. Jehovah Shua. Uh, it's one of the compound names of God. And then he goes on, The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom there will be no end. All of this prophesied back in Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from this time forward, even forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So everything 
that Gabriel announces to Mary concerning Jesus is prophesied back in Isaiah 9. And as we continue in the Gospels, we will see all of it fulfilled with one exception, and that is him sitting on the throne of David for eternity. To see that, you got to jump up to the book of Revelation, which is pretty cool. The Lord, so Mary said, how can this be, since I do not know a man? Now, Zacharias was a statement of doubt. Zechariah's statement is more like, this can't happen because I'm old and my wife is old. Mary's was a statement of curiosity, like, wait a second, you're telling me I'm going to get pregnant. Um, I'm a virgin. How's that going to work? Not, this can't be, just, how's that going to work? And Gabriel explains it to her. He says, and we know that hers was not a statement of doubt because of Gabriel's response. When Zacharias made his statement, Gabriel went, dude, God sent me to tell you this and you ain't listening, now you're going to be mute. Mary asked the question and he goes, okay, here's what's going to happen. Right? So the different response tells us that the questions were different. And so the angel says the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the highest will overshadow you, and therefore also the Holy One is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, if you ask me, well, explain to me how the Holy Spirit impregnated Mary. I can't. Because I have a limited understanding of how that actually took place. Right? I have heard people blasphemously say that God had sex with Mary. No, he did not. The Holy Spirit can do things that you and I can't do. God can do things that you and I can't do. And God can do things that we don't necessarily understand. And you want to know why that's okay? Because he's God and we're not. God is smarter than me. I'm okay with that. Right? Just the bad gram grammar of that sentence proves it. God is smarter than I am. God can do things that I can't do because he is much more powerful than I could ever hope to be or imagine. And I'm okay with that. When I see something in scripture that I don't fully understand or that, that I can't necessarily explain, but I know it happened because the Bible says it happened, and I go, you know what? Well, God's smarter than I am. I'm good. He's allowed to do things that I will just never be able to comprehend. Well, while I'm here. One day we'll get to know. One day, you know, people always like to, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God a question. No, you're not going to ask God any questions. I guarantee it. You're going to get there. You're just going to understand. You're going to get there and you're going to be like, right now, how did he speak creation into existence? I don't know. But when I get there, if the Bible says I'm going to know even as I'm known, then I think that's going to be pretty cool. I actually think I have a theory. It's one of my many theories about heaven that I have no proof for. But one of the things I really hope happen is that we'll get to look. Maybe it'll be a big movie screen. Maybe it'll be VR goggles. I don't know. But we'll get there and we'll be able to, you know, Google creation. Google won't exist in our age. I already know that. Neither will Facebook. Praise God. Um, but we'll be able to see it. I think we'll be able to see it, right? Maybe it's Tuesday, and, and Tuesday they're showing the flood in the movie theater. We'll get to go watch that. I don't know how it's going to work. Um, I just think we're going to be able to see it. Now, the fact that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit is vital to us as believers. And this is why. Because in order to save us, to be the propitiation or the substitutionary sacrifice for our sin, as is explained in Romans 3, 21 through 26, Jesus had to be sinless. Not just that he didn't sin as much. He had to be completely without sin. And not only did he have to be sinless in his actions, which he was according to Hebrews 4.15 and 1 John 3.5, but he also had to be born sinless. And because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, which means he had no human father, he did not inherit a sin nature. If you spend a little bit of time in the book of Romans, which we did, you can go back and listen to our study through there. But in Romans chapter 5, we are reminded that through one man sin entered the world, that is through Adam. But, and because of that, all men sin, sorry, 
which means we are all sinners for two reasons. One, because we're descendants of Adam, and two, because we commit sin. Jesus is not either one. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, he's not a descendant of Adam, and he lived a life of sinlessness. And that's necessary in order for him to save us. Because if Jesus had ever committed a sin, when he died on the cross, he would have been dying for his own sin. But because he was completely sinless, he could die on the cross for our sins. He could take our place. Now, Gabriel tells Mary about Elizabeth. And the word for relative here in Greek is sugenis, and it can be translated as cousin. There's a lot of people who say Jesus and John were cousins. They were related. And the word can be translated cousin. But it could also be translated something else. It just means a close relative, a blood relative. So somehow Mary and Elizabeth were blood relatives. Maybe Elizabeth was her aunt, which case John and uh, Jesus would have been cousins. But we don't know exactly what that relation was. They were probably cousins. But the fact that, that uh, Elizabeth was from the tribe of Levi and Mary from the tribe of Judah means that they were probably related because of their mothers, not their fathers, which doesn't really mean a whole lot to us, but it's kind of a cool thought. I come across these things when I'm studying, and I'm like, well, I find it interesting, so I'm going to write it down and share it with all of you. But there were two statements that I think are absolutely fantastic. The first is from Gabriel. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Luke 137. I think I kind of jumped on that a little bit earlier, but here it is again. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. Pastor Chuck was always fond of saying, in Genesis 1, 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you're okay with Genesis 1, 1, you're going to be okay with everything that comes after it. Because if in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, can he flood his creation? Of course. Can he confuse the languages of his creation? Of course. Can he knock down the walls of Jericho, make the sun stand still, rain fire and brimstone down on Egypt, part the Red Sea? Yeah. None of that's hard. Can he raise the dead? Sure. Can he order the nation of Israel so that one day his son would be born to a specific woman in a specific place who was a specific descendant of King David? Yeah, not a problem. Not at all. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If he can do that, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Jeremiah 32 says, is anything too hard for you? No. And then we see Mary's comment. Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And this is a beautiful statement of submission to the will of God. This is the type of surrender that we all need in our lives. Put yourself in Mary's spot for just a moment. She was an unwed virgin. And we read about this in the book of Matthew. She knew that being pregnant before her and Joseph were married, according to the law, meant her death. She knew that. So when Gabriel said, you're going to be pregnant, you're going to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit, because you're this virgin, because God has placed his grace upon you, she knew that if the law was followed, she would be stoned to death. She knew it. When you get to Matthew chapter 1, well, actually not get to it, it's behind the book of Luke uh, for our purposes of chronology, but when you look at Matthew's gospel chapter 1, we know that Joseph had a bit of an issue with this too, right? I'm married. If I found out my wife was pregnant and I didn't do it before we got married, I might have said something. Right? That didn't happen. I'm just saying, that might bother me. But Joseph was a just man. He didn't want her to be put to death so he was just going to put her away quietly, let her family deal with her. And, and the angel, Gabriel, most likely, shows up to him and says, Hey, it's all cool. God's doing this. Suck it up. And Joseph's like, okay. He submits to the will of God too. Right? That's the message Bible. That's not what it actually says. But Joseph was a godly man who submitted himself to the will of God. 
Marry a godly woman who submitted herself to the will of God, surrendering completely, even though she knew what could happen. James 4, 7 reminds us to submit ourselves to God, to resist the devil, and he will flee from us. Romans 12, 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Jeremiah 10, 23 adds, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. God is calling each of us to surrender to him the way Mary did, the way Joseph did, to say, Lord, I am your servant. May it be according to your will, whatever that means. Now, was that easy? Uh-uh. Do you think it was easy for Mary to say that? I'm sure when she said that, she was a little bit scared, a little bit nervous. How am I going to tell my husband about this? How am I going to tell our families about this? What's going to happen when the people in our village notice that I'm pregnant? Right? Because you've seen a pregnant woman. Eventually, it's quite noticeable. How am I going to explain this? But none of those questions come out in her discussion with Gabriel. I imagine it was going through her head. And she just simply said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, may it be to me according to your will. Now, for those of you who are guys in here, don't say maidservant. But behold, God, I'm your servant. Whatever you want to do is okay with me. I'm, I'm just going to follow you. That's what he asked her about. And here's the cool part about it. And then we're going to close. I promise I'm almost done. Here's the cool part about it. He will never ask us to do that alone. He's always going to be with us. He's never going to ask us to do that in our own strength. He is always going to give us the grace and strength to surrender to him. And everything he does in our lives, he does for our good, even when we don't understand it, even if we don't like it. But we have that promise in his word. So as we close... We focused, focused, I can talk. We focused on the two miraculous announcements of two miraculous pregnancies for Elizabeth and Mary. As a result, I think there are two applications that we have to consider for our ourselves and to put into practice in our own lives. First, we have to look to God's limitless power and ability and never dwell in unbelief because of our own limitations. And second, like Mary, we have to surrender our lives completely to the will of God as he puts his hand of grace upon us. I always like to close with some fun questions to think about. First, is there anybody here who has not surrendered their lives to Jesus, the one who saves us from our sin? Right? If you're here, if you're online, if you're listening to this recording at some later time, Go to our website, go to our Facebook page, get in touch with us. I would love to help you know how much Jesus loves you. Second, is there something in your life that seems impossible or insurmountable and you have no idea how you're going to get to the other side? If so, I just want to encourage you to know that with God, nothing's impossible. There is literally nothing he cannot do. So don't limit him. Don't dwell in unbelief, but put your trust and hope in the God of the impossible. And if you're dealing with something like that and you need prayer or encouragement, that's why we're here, to support and encourage one another. And finally, and I'm just going to, I often say this, I don't like this question. But God told me to put it in here. <laughs> Where in your life is God calling you to surrender? Now, if you're anything like me, 
You have nothing left to surrender because you walk with Christ perfectly. So glad I'm under a roof. I think lightning might have just come right down if I had been outside. Now, God knows I'm joking. But I don't think the roof would have stopped it either. <laughs> but if you're anything like me, you could probably do a little self-reflection and um, figure out a, a multitude of things that God is asking you to surrender. It doesn't matter how long you've been walking with the Lord. There's always going to be something that you're not doing perfectly. I guarantee that. Is he asking you to repent of and surrender a specific sin? Has he called you to something that you've been hesitant to do? I don't know what it is, but I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is for me. But whatever it is for you, when we surrender our lives to him, we know that everything he has called us to be and everything he wants for us is on the other side of that surrender. We know that. Look throughout scripture. Every time God calls somebody to something and they struggle, once they surrender to the will of God, we get to see what happened. We get that. We have that hindsight. So let's learn from it. When Elijah struggled and ran, when he surrendered and came back, and his ministry continued and grew. David struggled and sinned, then he repented and surrendered to God, and God continued to work through his life. Folks, we can be saved because Jesus demonstrated this to us. Was Jesus ever going to disobey the Father? I don't think so. But he showed us what surrender looked like. The Bible even tells us in the book of Hebrews that he learned obedience as a son through the things that he suffered. And Jesus surrendered to the will of the Father. He died on the cross. And then what do we get to see? The other side of that, which is the resurrection. God is calling us not to die on a cross for anybody else's sin, but he's calling us all to surrender. And when we do, I think he's going to do something so cool in our lives, in our church, in our city. I can see it. I can see it. And I'm excited. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the favor that you put on each of us, not because we deserve it, but because you're good and because you love us, and because you want to do an incredible work in our lives. Father, for anybody who's listening, anybody who's here, who doesn't know you, I pray that your spirit is working in their hearts to draw them to yourself, and that you would give us the privilege of helping them in that journey. Lord, for all of us here who may be facing something that we don't see how we're going to get to the other side, remind us who you are and the great power that you have and how there is nothing that's impossible for you. And Father, for each of us, I, I have a sneaking suspicion that your Holy Spirit is working in our hearts and pointing out those areas of surrender. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to surrender to you. Just to give it all to you knowing that you're going to take care of it anyway. And may you be glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name.